This is an ABC podcast. Broad, long strides, runs in bowls. Now that went away and they're appealing for a catch and he's out! Warner fails again, it's naught. Caught behind, I think he's trying to leave that. When it comes to the Ashes in England, Stuart Broad has owned David Warner. But despite that domination, the veteran opener has been picked for Australia's Red Bull fixtures in the UK. The selectors have confirmed he will take on India in the World Test Championship in London, yet there was no guarantee for him beyond that. So are we looking at David Warner's last, last chance? And one way or another, is this tour the end of his Test career? I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Peter Lawler is the chief cricket writer for the Australian Pete. Australia has its squad for the World Test Championship in London and the ensuing Ashes series. And as is often the case, all stories lead to David Warner. Why has the opener held his place in the squad despite a parlous record in England and diminishing returns beyond that, really? I think we all knew that he was in there. They'd certainly indicated that he was in the squad. More interesting to me is... George Bailey's absolute reluctance to guarantee him a start in the first Ashes Test. Different opposition and you know different different surface in terms of uh, going from the Oval to to start the Ashes. So we'll we'll work through that. I really got the impression listening to George Bailey this morning that David Warner is there for the World Test Championship. His position will be reassessed immediately after that. I think that's what all selections based on this yeah. performance. So yeah, there'll be. Always a weight, weight attributed to performance, absolutely. Warner is the one in the most danger and I reckon he, he needs to make 40 runs, a bit more than that in an innings, to find himself playing the first test of that Ashes because he's, he's absolutely no guarantee. And it kind of sounds a bit bizarre, doesn't it, Patrick, to like take him over there so you can play that one but then you can't play the next one. There's a couple of factors that, that are informing their thinking. Primarily among them is... It's the end of a cycle, this World Test Championship. It's the end of a two-year cycle. And in a way, you know, you get your team to the grand final. You deserve a chance to play in that grand final. On top of that, of course, is the fact that Warner's played 103 tests and, you know, you always give a person one too many chances, don't you, than one too few. A champion, somebody who's who's played that much cricket. Oh, that's good delivery. It bounces a little bit. And Warner edges it down to the boundary for four for his double hundred. But the difference between the World Test Championship and the Ashes is kind of, I think basically the Ashes are New Year's Day for the next cycle of cricket. And, and in fact, they are. I think many would argue that this same group of selectors erred in staying with Aaron Finch for too long in the T20 setup and ultimately sort of hurting their home World Cup campaign. And I'm interested in that sort of idea of loyalty that you touch on there because it's a weird crime to be accused of, but is it a mistake that they're repeating? Are we seeing a pattern? Is it loyalty? Is it recognition of contribution and, and to undeniable skill? I mean, the fact that, that Warner has, has played 103 tests and averaged 45 and being, you know, the only consistent opener in Australian cricket for the past 12 years. He's been critical to the fortunes of Australian cricket. Yeah, they can be criticised for that, absolutely. You know, and you see it happen too often, don't you? I mean, Ricky Ponting hung on way too long. 2015's an instructive uh, Ashes series. Shane Watson got one chance. He played the first test and was dropped and never played test cricket again for Australia. Watson waits with bowls. And he struck on the pad, a shout for LBW. He's given him out! 
Watson's out, LBW. Again. Ditto Brad Haddon. He played the first test. He withdrew from the second test, but wasn't reinstated when he was ready to come back, and that was the end of him. And Michael Clarke, he played one series too many there. It's always a balancing act, isn't it? There's not going to be any outrage if David Warner doesn't play the first test. Even if he's given that first test, you could kind of understand it, you could kind of forgive it, but they won't be dragging him past that second test if he's struggling. One way or another, do you feel as though the Ashes or this tour of England will be David Warner's test cricket swan song? Yes, 100%. I can't see David Warner playing any test cricket beyond these Ashes. He may want to go on. If he gets through the Ashes, good luck to him. But that will make a difficult decision for selectors who, you know, we talked earlier, you know, about it it being the end and starts of cycles, you will start to want to bed another long-term opener down into that position sooner rather than later, because let's not forget, Usman Khawaja is the same age at the other end, but doesn't enter the conversation because he kind of, he's living life in reverse. This time he reverse sweeps again, and effectively this time the ball's racing away to the point boundary for four. Terrific shot from Usman Khawaja. He's getting better as he gets older. He's defying the sort of conventions for batters of that age. Let's talk about who might replace Warner if he falters. Cam Bancroft's excellent shield season was not rewarded. He's not in this squad. Matt Renshaw and Marcus Harris, they are. Travis Head opened in India. Who should be the next person to get the opportunity? Well, who will be the next person? It's Marcus Harris. I think they've they've played their cards there. It's obviously Marcus Harris getting a contract, that he's, he's the next cab off the rank for that opening position. Then Renshaw comes in behind that. Travis Head won't open in England. Uh, George basically ruled that out. Yeah, his his record through the middle speaks for itself. Uh, yeah, we do think he has a skill set that can be utilised um, in the subcontinent, at the top at different times. But um, fully expect him to be back where he's performed uh, incredibly well for us. Harris has got the sit there. Harris is the guy the selectors like. A lot of people say he's had too many chances. Gideon was saying that on cricket, etc. the other day. I think, well, he's actually only had 14 tests. It's not that many and they've come in bits and pieces. He, ha- he has failed to make a convincing case for himself when he has had that opportunity. He's on his way again. Passed up by Paul Rifle with three slips and a gully in place and he nicks it and it's taken a third slip. He strikes Ollie Robinson and the catch is taken by Darwood Milan and England does get an early breakthrough. Marcus Harris, an issue for him in his young test career, nicking off early and he's done it again. He's out for three. Caught Milan, bowled Robinson. But he was looking better last time he got a chance and then he got pushed aside by circumstances. You know what interests me? It's the fact that they didn't give Renshaw a contract. If you're Matthew Renshaw, you're sitting there and you're going, okay, I I played in India, I got dropped, fair enough, but now you reckon I'm a chance of playing in England. Why didn't I get a contract? Um, When I look across and say, for instance, uh, Lance Morris, the bowler, Lance Morris hasn't played a test, hasn't played a one-day international, hasn't played a T20, has an injury to his back that I suspect is a stress fracture, but I don't know that. But he got a contract and I didn't. Your nose would be kind of out of joint there a bit, I reckon. If his nose is out of joint, I feel like the ultimate good vibe selection has to be Mitch Marsh, beloved by (laughs) fans and teammates alike. How much of a role, though, do you expect him to actually play in this test series? With all due respect to Mitch Marsh, I hope we do not see him in any of these six test matches because that his biggest chance of playing 
is if Cam Green gets injured, and you do not want that, or if Cam Green's uh, form goes down the gurgler, but I think they'd get more chances than just the six tests in front of us if it did. Cam Green is the most exciting, one of the most exciting prospects in Australian cricket. He's ground on strike, Jadeja Bowles, Green back and cuts into the ground, and that's going to go for four. And that's his maiden test century. Cameron Green, perhaps a career-defining innings. He's essential to that lineup, And the selectors signalled that. They said the team was, was just a different team, a poorer team without him in those first two tests in India. And that's what let them down. And that was why it was so disappointing that he couldn't sort of get himself up for that second test, that critical second test. Mitch is there as shadow for him and as recognition of just how, you know, if we needed reminding of just how important a good all-rounder is. But apparently this um, operation that he's had has freed him up and means that he can bowl a hell of a lot more. He has, he has a degree of experience. He's been around a long time. He's a good fallback option, but I can't see him playing. But George did say, in an ideal world, you'd love to have two all-rounders in your top six. That's on the cards. It'd be, uh, yeah, it'd be exciting, exciting times if you could start to, to squeeze in um, two or three all-rounders um, into your top six if they, were, if they were batting well enough. And Mitch is a guy, when he's at his best, is a top six batsman. I'm not sure that English conditions suit him. It's going to be fascinating series. We're excited to see how it all plays out. Not to mention the World Test Championship, which is first off the bat... Pete Lawler, thanks so much for your time. The warm-up match, yeah. <laughs> All good, Pat. Take care, mate. Headlines. Both Collingwood and Essendon will be missing big-name stars for the Anzac Day Clash. Magpie Taylor Adams and Bombers captain Zach Merritt have both failed to have their suspensions overturned. It's a blow for the fixture, which sees second-placed Essendon take on third-placed Collingwood. Chelsea is out of the Champions League after being rolled by Real Madrid. The Spanish club head into the semi-finals along with AC Milan who knocked out Napoli. They could face bitter rivals into Milan if they can get past Benfica. Man City should meet Madrid, assuming they can defeat Bayern Munich. Top Scottish ultra-marathon runner Joe Zakrzewski has been disqualified after finishing third in an ultra between Manchester and Liverpool. Why? Well, it's a 50-mile race, but she travelled by car for 2.5 of those miles. The 47-year-old got sprung on mapping data covering a mile in 1 minute and 40 seconds, which is a giveaway. She actually won a 24-hour event in Australia back in 2020 when she ran 236 kilometres. We think... And in this week's edition of Athletes Who Get Paid Well, I give you Jalen Hurts. The quarterback has signed a five-year, $380 million contract extension with NFL team Philadelphia. Hurts is just 24 years old. Last season, he played in a Super Bowl and was the league MVP runner-up. The only person I know paid that well is Poppy Penny. She produced this episode of ABC Sport Daily. I'm Patrick Stack. Have you reviewed us yet? What about a five-star rating? If not, why not? I'm not sure we can stay friends at this rate. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.